Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court and other court issues along with CPS issues. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, and today I have a very special guest. Her name is Monica Shimonik. She's a certified health coach, ADA advocate, and has a background in digestive wellness, massage therapy, and personal training. After being sued for sole custody of her son in 2010 and being forced into the famous or infamous every other weekend parenting schedule, Monica has been coaching moms and dads as they navigate through the treacherous waters of the family law racket. She authored the book, Broken System, Broken Heart, to help parents launch into self-care after a scarring custody battle. She believes that writing a book made her a much better family court warrior as she climbed the rungs of the legal system as a pro se parent. Aside from workshops, which help solve a specific problem, her 12-week signature course, The Best Interest of the Parent, uses a four-quadrant model to create a robust healing and empowerment system so that parents can use the best version of themselves to make it through the toughest journey they will ever take. And I totally welcome you, Monica Shimonik. How are you doing this evening? Good. This is super exciting. I think your podcast is brilliant. Oh, I thank you very much. I'm so glad you're on. So we need to learn from you. (laughs) And, uh, And we talked earlier about fixing the system by healing our own pain and trauma, you know, because unhealthy suffering parents are ineffective activists. Yeah, that's my, um, that's what I've gathered given that I started attending rallies at the Capitol in my state. I live 15 minutes from Hartford, so it's, mm-hmm. it's just a hop, skip and jump away. And I would go to these events, you know, where parents were fighting for family court reform and they were so traumatized. You could just see the post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, They were kind of leading with their trauma and the legislators were getting lost with the story. They weren't being presented with solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, They were being presented with the stories without solutions. And I just saw that we weren't getting any reform over the years. I mean, going back to 2013, there really has been almost no reform in Connecticut at all. And, um, and so I feel, I feel like if we worked on our inner world first and removed the trauma as much as we could, we could be more effective activists and move forward. Like, like all the other civil rights movements have, we've, we're lagging behind, you know, gay people, they, they did it, people of color did it, disabled people, women, and we're next. So we have to, we have to start working on ourselves and then move forward. Yeah, most definitely. It's got it move forward and get done as, you know, as soon as possible. Um, I've always said, you know, there should be video cameras and tamper-proof mics in all courtrooms. Yes, that would actually allow the fourth branch of government to have the transparency that we need, that we're actually entitled to as citizens. And I believe it's the fourth branch of government that's going to fix the system. You know, people keep saying, oh, we need to pass better laws. We need to get this, you know, we need to get judges taken off the bench. Working in those branches of government isn't effective. It's the fourth branch of government. And once, once the average citizen, once the average Joe becomes concerned with family court corruption, whether or not he even has children, uh, that's when we know we're going to get it. And, you know, Martin Luther King says, uh, just, I hope I'm not butchering this, injustice anywhere is, is uh, uh, what did he say? It, injustice anywhere is a problem everywhere, something right. of that nature. And so the fourth branch of government, which is like the other, you know, 320 million 
Americans, not the 10 million that are in the legal system, but like everybody else, you know, all the cousin Bobs and Joes out there, once they become concerned, then we're going to get the reform we need and, and cameras in the courtroom is a way to do that. And also people need to understand that their taxes are getting hit hard with family court corruption. If, if, if my next door neighbor is fighting in family court and blowing their life savings to maintain their role as a parent and their house goes into foreclosure, what is that going to do with my property? You know, you know, so we have to care because it, it impacts us. If I, if, if my taxes are going up every year because there's, you know, 10% of the kids or 20% of the kids are missing a fit parent out of their lives and they're, they're needing medication and, and special therapy. Do I want my kids going to school with with twenty percent of the kids? I, I know that's a low number. It's probably like forty or fifty percent. But if 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 every third kid in my kids' class is missing one of their parents, do I want my child associating with kids who are who are heart, who are um, hurting? Not that the kids who are hurting are less you know valuable, but um, my daughter or son could have a romantic partner when they're fifteen who's got some trauma and it's you know do i want that so if the average the average person has to care um our health premiums are going to rise every year when we're paying for antidepressants and anxiety medications and also these fake evaluations which we might be able to get into later you oh know, we, will. Average, we will we yeah, yeah, <laughs> will the average person has to start caring so yes fourth branch of government cameras in the court is a very cheap way to get the fourth branch more involved in all this I know that some parents have talked about wanting juries in, in there, um, but I just don't know how, that, how feasible that would be to have a jury in every family court hearing. I disagree with juries because <clears throat> in my opinion, family court is very simple. It's about mm -hmm. as simple as like small claims court. It's, does a parent, does a parent deserve to continue to parent or not? Well, did they commit a crime? No, okay, check, bye. Here's your mm -hmm. divorce, goodbye, goodbye. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you know, there's no reason to ever go to family court ever once the properties are divided up, unless Johnny wants to go to summer camp and one parent says no. Then you could get a judge to make a decision off the cuff in like two minutes and be done. It's like, it should be traffic court. Right. Pay your $50 fee and go home. It's like, it should, you should, it should literally be a transactional court, not like guardians ad litem and evaluations. Mm -hmm. Like, what is all that all about? That is the most, that is the biggest racket I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so glad that did not happen to me, having to get a guardian ad litem. <laughs> I, I just think what a waste of money that they are making parents pay for. It's, it's you know, you can't force a, uh, an, a person of sound mind into a legal contract, as far as I know. I have read up on contract rights. We have, a, there's a famous case called Janus versus AFCMNE, something like that. Mm -hmm. the Janus case, J-A-N-U-S, and the United States Supreme Court so that somebody cannot be compelled to pay for a service that they don't want. So we mm -hmm. have the right to control where our money goes. So parents should just freaking say no. And that's a problem. Parents aren't saying no. They're afraid to say no. Um, I've had parents in Connecticut get out of guardian ad litem contracts simply by saying the word no. I think the word no is your life vest in family court. And if we use the word no, think of family court as like a first date, you know, if you don't want to be, you know, I don't want to make this sort of, I don't want to be crass, but if, you know, you don't want to be date raped in, in court, just say no, you know, don't right. give consent. Right. You can always think, consent later. Yeah. Well, I think people are just plain scared when they go in there because it could just be themselves just going in there and they look at their opponent who has eight people with them. 
Yes. Yes. I think that's, you know, you got the, your ex-husband or ex-wife is bringing in the Brady Bunch. Like, oh, my next door neighbor, my barber, my son's kindergarten teacher. You know, my, I have teenagers now and I'm going to bring in the kindergarten teacher who saw mommy smoke a cigarette when she picked up the kids. Like, it's literally that kind of crap that we're seeing, right? And they're always dressed in 80s clothing with a big <laughs> hair and, you know, the muffin top going on and... <laughs> The judge never slams his gavel when he goes against the defendant while they're laughing and clapping and cheering. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, family court triggers like high school wounding, right? You don't right. want to get laughed at by the popular kids in the cafeteria. And then you go to court and people are high-fiving each other because you lost your kids. Right. Yes, you're absolutely right. It, it, it's a government building. They're, they should not allow hate crimes to happen. You know, it's... Oh well, th these judges have no accountability. There's no accountability with, with them or even attorneys. And the, the parents are suffering, I'm going to say first, because the kids find out a couple hours later what happened and what their destiny is going to be, either with that parent for sole custody or what. Mm. You know, so I mean... I, Judging from what, what, what I've seen, it's like the parent is usually in shock first. Then the child finds out maybe four hours later when, when so-and-so is picking them up from school. That's so, uh, I remember that day, that was October of 2013. I had to tell my seven-year-old like, mm -hmm. oh, your parenting time with me is getting cut in half. And he, he, was, he was already down to just a few hours a week with me anyway, you know, and so to have to like he, he kind of like lost me twice. He lost me when he was four and then he had to lose me more at seven. So like, mm. it, it's, it's hard, you know, but yeah, no, I don't want to repeat. I would never want to repeat something like that ever again. <laughs> it's no. traumatizing. Yeah, it really is. Um, what do you think about like this third layer of trauma? I know we had talked earlier about it. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I went and spent like $35,000 on a nutrition degree, never used it, got my son taken. And then now here I am building a new career. And I'm like, okay, I guess this is my path now. Like, okay. Yeah. It's, right. it's kind of funny. Like you can either go to college or you can have bad stuff happen to you and you can get a career from either yeah. one. So the problem with starting a brand new thing from scratch, um, as far as I know, I don't know anyone else is doing this kind of coaching who's not in the system as a, um, a legal expert, there's a lot of coaches that have law degrees that are doing great work, I'm sure. I'm sure they're doing phenomenal work. But I just find that coaches, I have not yet found anyone uh, who, who addresses the corruption piece. They'll say like, they'll acknowledge the narcissism, they'll acknowledge that family courts kind of suck, but they won't really get into like, that they're purposefully sucky. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I do hit that pretty hard. And um, so when I first opened my business in 2016, I, <clears throat> I thought I could just, I was, already health, being a, ugh, I was already a health coach for people that were suffering from digestive disorders. And I was like, oh, I could, I'll just switch over to moms who've been traumatized by the court system, no problem. And I thought, why not? And I spent all this money on branding and, mm -hmm. you know, I wrote my book and everything. And, and so and then I realized that I was, I had just gotten myself in over my head because I'm not trauma informed. And here I am getting all these intakes for people who, um, who I can't help. And I was mm -hmm. like drowning. I was like, I was losing like $500 a month in, in business expenses and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I couldn't figure out what I was missing. 
I was like, something's wrong. Like I'm not eligible to work with, you know, my, 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 um, health coach certification doesn't allow me to work with someone who doesn't have a baseline level of health. So the majority of people contacting me for coaching were not even employable. Their trauma was so pervasive. And I was like, well, I, I could get, you know, it's, it's, there's a liability concern for me, um, working with these moms. So I had to turn away 80% of the people who contacted me and, uh, that's not a good business model. And so I went, I, I, I struggled for two, almost two and a half years with this business. And it, it was really hard. I was like, what am I doing wrong? I was a coach for digestive disorder. I mean, I was a coach for people who were missing half their intestines and that was fine. Mm. And now I can't work with a parent who went through what I went through. And, right. and so one day in October of 2018, I, I, I just had this massive like awakening and it was two, it was within 72 hours of Karen Huffer passing Dr. Karen Huffer. And I believe to this day that she passed and she literally sent me this message in the middle of the night. And I didn't even know that she had passed when I got this download in the middle of the night in October of 2018. And um, I, you know, I knew of her, but I didn't know that she had passed away. And so I started researching her. I don't know how I, discovered it was it was just crazy so if anyone's listening and hasn't has not heard of dr karen huffer you absolutely must uh research her because she's the only doctor that i know of who understands court corruption and she wrote a book called unlocking justice and um another book her first book was called legal abuse syndrome i think they're both on amazon for under 100 bucks you could get both her books i highly highly recommend her books to understand what you're going through if you're listening and when i when i when i researched her some more i said okay this is what's happening all other you know professionals there, there's two different layers there's two different types of trauma that we're all familiar with there's there's level one trauma which is like a hurricane hitting your house and none of this is le none of this is medically i made this up okay mm -hmm. this is not like a medical term if you go to google it you're not going to find it <laughs> Um, but level one trauma is like a tree falling on your house and you having to file a new claim, being out a lot of money, you know, being displaced, um, a hurricane putting your house underwater, um, um, cancer, you know, your, your, a relative passing away from brutal cancer, even a child being deceased is a natural trauma if they were, um, if it's natural causes. So you can have natural trauma that's very severe, but it's still like level one trauma. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a second layer of trauma, which is when you have all this pain that's, but it's man-made, somebody did this to you. A, 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 a burglar broke into your house and assaulted you and now you're disabled versus falling off a cliff while you're hiking and having the same disabilities, having the same broken bones, the same concussion, what have you. Someone who falls down hiking and gets a concussion is not going to need as much healing as someone who is assaulted and gets the same exact injuries because it's not man-made trauma when you when you fall down hiking and so i feel like all of the problems in the world are kind of fall into those two categories there's level one trauma which is natural causes and then there's level two which is man-made harm and um and then there's level three trauma which i this is the Dr. Huffer message that she sent me because I could not have come up with this on my own. There's no way. Um, I said, oh my God, there's another level of trauma that nobody's addressing. And that's, that is government. That's, that's when you, you have a level two um, injury, you go to the authorities to report it and then you get punished. Mm -hmm. So someone assaults you on the street, you go to the police, 
to make a report and they fine you a thousand dollars or they tell you that you're making it up or something of that nature you go to family court to report that your child is being abused and they say you're alien you're being you know you're alienating your child and you're going to be on supervised visits so it's when you go to the authorities um that protective container that you step into to get help and you get uh in your worse off than if you hadn't said a damn thing so mm-hmm. we've had parents in connecticut go to shelters and I've always said, and this, this might not be true for every state, but in my opinion, just my personal knowledge, limited knowledge of domestic violence shelters, um, I feel like some, not all, if, you're, if you run a domestic violence shelter and this doesn't apply to you, you know, I'm not talking about you, um, I feel like a lot of domestic violence shelters are funnels to CPS. And, and so they'll call CPS on you if you go to a shelter and then mm-hmm. CPS will get involved and try to put your kids in foster care if you got assaulted by your spouse, if you're a man or woman, who cares, you know? Um, and so that's, to me, that's a third layer of trauma because you go into that container of support and then you get mm-hmm. punished and you're like, wow, I should have just stayed in that abusive situation. Um, so, so I was like, okay, so I spent six months redoing my entire program mm-hmm. to address the corruption. Um, it was so vanilla in the beginning it was like oh go meditate eat kale i know that you had your kids stolen from you and you have to pay all your ex's attorney's fees and you're homeless and you're like living with your alcoholic mother but just meditate and eat kale and you'll be fine that was like literally my program (laughs) oh my goodness that was charging three thousand dollars for that (laughs) and so and so i mean they felt better for a few days you know but then their ex would send them a text message um and then they'd go to court and the judge would, the marshal would, you know, uh, the judge would sanction them and then they'd be right back to where they started and they weren't getting anywhere with me. <laughs> I was like, oh crap, you know, so I had to redo everything. And then I started weaving in the fact that they are, you know, dealing with corruption and how do we become activists? How do we stand up to the corruption? Mm-hmm. And thank God, thank you, Dr. Karen Huffer for helping me out. Cause now I have a course that I could actually sell and help people, you know, instead of this vanilla stuff where people are just, meditating their third layer of trauma away. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that, that's amazing that you found her and built this up. Um, what is this program called? It's, called? it's called The Best Interest of the Parent. And that came to me in a dream. Probably, maybe Dr. Karen Hopper did it. I don't know. Because, um, you know, this whole, this whole stupid culture of family law is all about best interests of the child and they are obsessed with our kids <clears throat> as if we have no clue how to take care of them. <laughs> right, right. Like, my ex don't like me no more. So now I need Mr. Government to help me determine my own child's best interest because I clearly don't have it together, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, so the best interest of the parent is all about, it's really all about parents. There's very little stuff about kids in my, my course. And, you know, some people might say that's selfish. Like, what about the children? But um, it's my belief that when you take care of the parent, the kids are always better off by default. <laughs> right. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I mean, I'm an alienated child. My, I was ripped away from my own father in 1983, and I had no contact with him for five, for five years. I was living with my narcissistic, abusive parent, and she had married men that were hor- horrible. I had a horrible childhood. And, um, and, but my dad maintained his health. He did missionary work. He mm. got his PhD. I mean, he just... He freaking nailed it. You know, he wasn't sitting in a ball of trauma, you know, because then I would have had two parents that weren't healthy and I needed a healthy parent. And so when my dad found me when I was 10, I had a healthy parent to anchor onto. And right. I'm so glad that my dad put his own welfare first, you know, so. 
I agree. No, that's very important that the parents stay healthy and busy. And con well, I, at least I'm constantly doing things, you know, hobbies, whatever, you know, the guitars, whatever, just to, you know, I guess, stay busy. I, so, sometimes they say staying busy is not healthy either. Yeah, I, I do a lot of like spiritual work. You know, I follow like Abraham Hicks and like tons. I spend probably half my waking hours doing spiritual work, which is just crazy. Um, but they do say that like um, staying busy is is a form of um, coping and possibly a form of withdrawal and um, a form of numbing, even though it's probably a lot healthier than eating ice cream and watching Netflix all the time. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's good to be busy. Like I, I certainly, you know, but the, you know, the spiritual gurus out there would say you need to be still in your trauma and like, let it move through you and um, pay attention to your body and, and be present with your trauma so that it could digest and be, be uh, transmuted on its own. And you could send it back out in the universe and then you're left with like, you know, this uh, a, a stronger, you know, it's kind of like similar to like, when you plant tomatoes, you, you want to put the tomato seedlings out in the wind so that the wind can knock them around a little bit. And then the mm -hmm. tomatoes have a stronger stock as opposed to like keeping them inside under grow lights all the time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. No, that's excellent. That's a, you know, an excellent way to explain that. You know. Yeah. And, and like the tomato, and I wish I remember, I can't take credit for this. Somebody else came up with this, but the tomato, when they're knocked around in the wind, they develop roots, mm -hmm. uh, strong roots to hold it together. Whereas the tomatoes that are grown indoors don't have roots um, mm -hmm. as, as deep as the ones that are outdoors for a few hours a day. So I, I believe that we need to be present with our trauma and process it and in a, in a safe way, right? A, a trauma informed coach ideally somebody who's been through the court system i have a resource i send people to and um yeah i did i did the work it took me many 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 years it probably took me nine years to really do all the work but yeah it's it's a lot of work but it's helping so many people and uh, do you see a lot of parents with say stomach ulcers um people with absolutely heart attacks maybe things like yes. that Yes, we absolutely, there was a 48 year old mom who was testifying in Connecticut who had a heart attack several years prior after her kids were taken. She's, you know, and then uh, I have a couple, I worked with a couple private clients who had uh, heart inflammation, heart, pal heart palpitations is a big thing. And then there's a lot of young parents that are in their forties that are taking cholesterol medication. Yeah. That's just terrible. It's, this is what this court system does. People don't realize until it happens to them. How many times have I said that? <laughs> but people, you know, some people, when you explain this to them, they get it. Some people really get it, even though they haven't gone through it, but they can understand it. I don't know why. And there are some people that just don't get it. They just look at you like, yeah, they'll say stuff like, well, every, every other weekend's not bad. I mean, that's kind of good. I, I had my dad every other weekend. It's not the schedule. It's the process that we went through to wind up with that schedule oh. and the fact that that was forced on us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And you probably talked to parents that have had <clears throat> false allegations put on them and they've had to fight those off and get cleared of those. 
and then they're losing their kids in the in the meantime anyway. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I kind of have a lighthearted, crass approach, like almost like a sarcastic approach. But again, I'm 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 almost twelve years in. I certainly didn't have this ideology early on. You know, the first five years. But I I tell parents all the time, and I I think I had this in my course. Like, if <laughs> I'm just gonna say it, if I'm ever accused of false allegations, I will go to court with a pencil and that's it. No, no witnesses, no papers, no documents, no freaking evaluations, nothing. I'll bring a pencil just for fun. Mm -hmm. Kind of fun to hold a pencil, put it in your ear. And I would literally sit back in my seat. I wouldn't even like lean forward and I wouldn't like sit back disrespectfully, but I would literally lean back in my seat and just chill while mm -hmm. my ex does all the heavy lifting because the freaking burden of proof is always on the other person. And we mm -hmm. forget that, mm -hmm. right? When you're accused, you're like, oh my God, let me bring in 85 people to say I'm a good person. Let me freaking bring in an alibi. It, you know, even people accused of crimes don't have to do all that stuff. Right. But I, I think what happens is like the trauma sets in. So everyone gets scared. I've got to have everybody here. You know, I've got to fight off these allegations. And then from there, you, you just get sick. And, and here's the question I want to ask parents. If, you, if parents who are listening... Where, okay, great, you're fighting off, because a lot of parents are like, oh my God, that's me. Okay, here's my question. Did you get a list of formal charges? 99.999% of the time, they don't. Mm -hmm. False allegations, your attorney, your ex's attorney running their mouth is not a false allegation, okay? That's just somebody <laughs> saying stupid right. shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, and they don't know when to stop, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, and they call, like, I get parents all the time, they kind of, like, oh my God, I'm being accused. I'm like, okay, hang on, who's accusing you? Your ex, that's not an accusation. That's just your ex saying stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. If the cops serve you with a list of charges and you get arrested and you have a court date in the criminal court, yes, then you can be concerned. <laughs> Definitely. See, that's, I mean, and that's also like a trigger response, trauma response. As soon as they, you hear something, it's like you're a horse coming out of the gate running. Like, yeah. I got to get this fixed. I got to get moving on this. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. And, and I'm la and the reason I'm laughing is because I get it. Like I, I was I that parent. Like, if right. my son failed music class in third grade, I, I was like, oh my god, how do I prove that I helped my son be a good music student? And like it was just crazy. Like oh, I he sang Jingle Bells on Christmas. Let me just prove to the judge. That he, let me bring in a video of my son singing Jingle Bells to show that my I helped support my son's music freaking mm -hmm. class. Like parent, literally, these parents are driving themselves crazy mm -hmm. to prove something that doesn't have to be proven. Even if you mm -hmm. suck, even if you're a crappy music parent, <laughs> you, you could be a sucky parent in the bottom 10% of fit parents and still be totally fine in court because legally the other parent has to do all the work mm -hmm. proving it. Well, I remember getting a, an email from the opposing, right? <laughs> and uh, right before a, what was it, a support hearing or something, and he wanted all four of my physicians there the next day. And so <laughs> I called my counselor. I said, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? You know, the, the neurologist can't be there. I just called the office. He can only show up within four months. And she said, did he subpoena anybody? That's his job. He, and I can't tell you what she said because it was an expletive. <laughs> yes. We do, we're, we're literally doing the work for them. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. I have learned. No, he, in, in fact, I said that to the judge. I said, if he wanted these physicians here, surely he should have subpoenaed them. So yes. I sounded intelligent for once. <laughs> yeah, and I could tell that you've done a lot of work. I could just tell, like, 
I can tell by the way you carry yourself that you've, you know, figured this out. And I know your, your backstory, you know, and that's not, that's not common. Your, your, your particular disposition isn't very common. Um, I, I just wanted to say one more interesting thing. Um, I've done that. And so I'm not judging any parent. I remember in being in trial in 2013, texting my son's um, specialist under the table. Like, so I, I stuck my cell phone underneath the table and I was texting her and this is back before iPhones. So I was doing that, like, where you have to hit the number seven, 20 times to get like the L and like, Oh space. Yes. yeah. And so I'm like, I'm frantically texting. I gave myself arthritis texting her saying, please come to court. Please come to court. This is Monica Peters. That's my former name. This is Monica Peters. I'm Elias's mom. Come to court now. Here's the address. And I had not even had contact with this person in years. Like she was my son's specialist in 2008. Five years later, I'm like, come to court. They're saying I'm a bad mom. Come to court. You saw me parenting. And she never responded. She probably thought I was spam. But that's uh -huh. the kind of craziness we do. Like, that's what parents do. We freak. And I'm telling you to not freak. Sit back, play tic-tac-toe in the courtroom on a scratch pad while your ex comes up with all the proof. And they're not going to be able to do it because these people are lazy and, they don't, and they're incompetent with coming up with actual proof. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Right. And, you know, everyone's case is different. You know, some are, some, some people end up with good judges, mm -hmm. but for the most part, I've yet to see a good one. Yes. Same. <laughs> uh, Same. And now I, have you seen as far as collusion between an opposing and the judge being BFFs type of thing? Yeah. All the time. You know, Connecticut geographically is a really small state. So um, you know, if you're, so if you're in California and you get sued for custody in Sacramento and, and you live in like, I don't know, the Redwood Forest, I don't know anything about California and like, you're, you're not going to really know, like no one's going to really know anybody if you're driving long distance, but um, in Connecticut, you, you know, everything's an hour away at the most. And so there's a lot of, um, it's a dirty cesspool <laughs> and it's, and it's like the same, like 15 attorneys. Mm -hmm. And the same eight judges that do all the damage. So continuously with everyone, and they're you know in the hallway talking about your case. Oh yeah, uh, it's just it's really disgusting. Or they have their little social club where they're already deciding the outcome of what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, and and that's why I discourage parents from getting guardians ad litem because you never know. There, a lot of times, like a judge will owe a GAL a win. So mm -hmm. the, the judge will like screw over the GAL. I mean, so we have GALs who are also attorneys. So attorney, um, I don't know, attorney Klein represented the mom in this divorce case. And then that same attorney was a guardian ad litem in the Jones case. And so if the judge screwed over that person's you know client in one case they're going to make sure that they get a win in another case because they're mm -hmm. they want to be on the good on good terms with the attorney um it's it's a disgusting disgusting hellhole of corruption when you really look at like how these judges are appointed and attorney 50 percent of legislators are attorneys in connecticut roughly mm -hmm. and they they practice family law and then they vote in like it's horrifying. If you're a family law attorney, why would you vote against a judge being appointed when you know you have to face that judge next week? You know? Right. So. Or you, oh, so go, go ahead. I'm sorry. So the reason, so, so 
with that said, we can't depend on the executive branch, the legislative branch, or the judicial branch to fix the system. It has to be the fourth branch of government, which is us. And I think one of the best, a lot of parents are afraid to take a stand. They're like, I don't want to protest. I don't want to do this. Great. So fight with your money. Stop spending money. You know, mm-hmm. family law is not complicated. You're not being accused of a crime. So you don't, I mean, I, again, this isn't legal advice, but don't hire an attorney. <laughs> you can write your own case. Just say, look, the constitution applies, bro. Bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and read your constitutions because there's, you know, all these laws within there. And it, people, I think, even are afraid to even look at it. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? They're so traumatized because I was kind of like that. I'm like, I don't even want to look at that case law. I just don't want to even look at it. <laughs> that, it's, but I, I had to. I mean, it was terrible. It's, it's, it's grueling work. I hate sitting down and having to write briefs and case law. Like, I hate doing that because we're, we're forced to use like an academic part of our brain while we're suffering without our kids. And that's mm-hmm. almost impossible. It's like, it's like, you know, it, it, it's like, would you give someone who's bleeding on the street um, a puzzle to solve here? Mm-hmm. And, like, figure out this puzzle. It's like, no, I, I want to like stop bleeding. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's terrible. And like you said, it's grueling. You're, you're missing your kids. Now you've got to write a brief. And somehow you're thinking, well, I've never written one before. So you have to go Google the layout of a brief. And, and yeah. how do you have the cognitive capacity to do that when you're literally broken down into nothing? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had to go through that. I had to write a brief, you know, when, I mean, it was horrifying and I was seven months pregnant and like, I was like between four and eight months pregnant the entire time I was writing my brief. And, uh, and I, I just hated it, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm so glad I did it. It was literally one of the most healing things I've ever done in my life. And I'm so proud of my brief. It's not, it's like, I didn't win, you know, the state shredded my documents and made me lose by default, but um, I'm so proud of doing that brief. And so parents, I don't care if you write a crappy brief, you're, um, you're, you're stepping into um, a, a higher version of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, when you do stuff like that, you're, I promise you it's so healing and you can get through it. I have a ton of content on how to get through the appeals process. I think it's like episode eight on my podcast or something talks about all that. Um, but it's, it's incredible work. Um, yeah, I could talk forever on that kind of stuff. So no, that's great. No, people need to hear that. So they know that if you can do it, they can do it. I'm a high school dropout and I wrote a brief. Okay. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I, I actually had a federal court judge tell me, because, you know, like, they do everything on the computer, and then they email you a brief sample of what they're stating, right? But you don't get to see their whole order. And they, mm. should, they should be physically mailing that to you, but they're not because they figure you can look it up on the computer. Wow. So right there, it said to write a brief. So I'm like, I don't know what on what. Sometimes you're just like, what? So I just went by my instincts and wrote a brief. It's beautiful. Then he called for a telephone conference. And he said, I find it hard to believe that you wrote a brief without my order. I said, to be honest with you, I just wrote it because I didn't know what your order was. I can't look it up. That's unbelievable. I'm I'm not on the computer. So I thought that was kind of a compliment. I'm not sure. (laughs) I love that you did that. And I, I think, so this is, this is just, a, I'm not 
I'm just pretending that I understand that I know your history. So <laughs> I'm thinking that maybe the podcast came after that because I found that after I was writing, after I did the brief, it kind of helped reframe my brain to doing more stuff like making a podcast. Like I wouldn't have the gut, the gut. I would never have created my course if I had not appealed and, and written a brief. And I never would have made a podcast if I hadn't written my brief. There's mm -hmm. no way. So maybe like, is it, when did your podcast start? I started this September 7th of last year, 2020. Wow. Okay. It's an incredible podcast. So you probably rewired your brain to like function in this trauma to make a podcast. Cause most yeah. of this kind of stuff would be traumatizing to, to resurrect and, you know, so that's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, if I can do it, you can do it. That's just how I tell people, you know, there is also help on, you know, Google, you can Google Justia and look up case law. And you've got to read it really close to make sure it applies to your case. You know, you just can't say, oh, this sounds good. You better read the whole thing, <laughs> which is horrible. But yeah, and, and, and so also parents, you know, I would, I would try to keep the, I know it's impossible to do this when it's your children, but the ego piece, um, you know, these judges do not do this. Um, none of this is personal. Your kids are simply, you know, I said earlier today in, in my Facebook group, parental rights are bad for business. And so if they could snuff those away, then the state can access the kids more. They could do therapy, reunification therapy, kids evaluations, you know, kids, guardians ad litem, attorneys for children. Once you penetrate the barrier of parental rights, once you pierce through that and snuff them out and make them feel like pieces of crap, mm -hmm. then you can get to the kids and, and like, that's a, very lucrative industry uh, meddling into kids uh private lives and their business mm -hmm. um and so if you lost your kids in a custody battle that's not personal that's so that the state can inject itself mm -hmm. into um a new uh, a, 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 um, a client base like mm -hmm. uh, a market <laughs> it's right parental love is a very it's an it's a very lucrative market because um parents who love their kids will do everything who would not go bankrupt for i went bankrupt for my child yeah yeah <laughs> i mean you know you probably like every, yeah, who yeah. hasn't yeah who hasn't literally sold everything and lived in a car or something to to protect their children so knowing that that's a lucrative business model like mm -hmm. holy crap all i have to do is snuff this parent out and I, this parent yeah. will pay everything and then some money they don't even have they'll rob they'll get their their parents retirement fund 85 year old parents are putting up their house Mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. So you could get into all these markets, you know. It's a form of, yeah, it's a form of extortion. Yes, parental love is so exploitative. Is that the word? Mm -hmm. It's it's yeah. so easily exploit exploitable. <laughs> That's a <Right>. new word. <laughs> and in 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 getting them vulnerable, I mean, it's it's like um, it's it's brilliant. It's a brilliant business model. As a business person, I'm like whoa, the family court business model is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so intelligent, you know, but the constitution completely protects you. It's, it's so it, the constitution is your, your life vest. It's your security blanket and we have to use it because it only applies when we actually open our mouth and use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's probably very scary to someone going in there as a pro se litigant representing themselves and they know they're going to go up against an oppositional oppositional defiant attorney 
that uh, is making up the rules and running the show. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, um, it's pathetic, really. Uh, and they look stupid because when the parent is grounded and like calm internally, you know, I didn't get here until I was, it was probably like 2017 when I finally was like, oh, okay. And when the parent is just calm and like, well, you know, that actually, you're actually wrong, dude. And the constitution protects me. It's, it's so, it's so empowering. And so I think parents should research um, Ron and Sherry Palmer with fixedfamilycourts.com. I became one of their students in 2014. I saw them speak publicly in DC in 2014 and they literally broke me open. And, be, and I was the most passive docile, soft-spoken. You couldn't even hear me. If I screamed fire in a movie theater, everybody was, everybody would have died. Like I had the, no voice yeah. <laughs> and, and they, their work broke me open. And I, I became this like raging lunatic activist after working, studying with them and their stuff is incredible. They are literally geniuses. Like, so learn, you know, it's, it's tough to absorb it, but just take it in small pieces. You don't, you're not going to figure it all out right away. Spend a year digesting their stuff and freaking stand up for yourself in the system. The system will collapse. Absolutely will collapse. If we, I think only what 5% of people have to do something to flip a system over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I don't know what the number is, critical mass, whatever that formula mm-hmm. is. Don't yeah. wait until you're in jail, you know, and bankrupt and, right. and asking your 80 year old parents for money. Do it now. Do it when you get served. <laughs> do right. it when you're still married and you're getting served. Be like, oh, let me go find Ron and Sherry Palmer, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, so people can take my course, get access to them as well. They get a six month membership with them. Neat. Okay. That's good to know. I'm writing this down just to put in the notes of the podcast so people can look this up as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it how are your kids doing now? Um, so I only lost one child in the system. Mm. So <laughs> only one casualty. Most, you know, a lot of parents have it worse and he's 14. And what's interesting is, um, he, um, knows how to stand up for himself, which is amazing. Cause I certainly was not like that at 14. I was bullied. I was, I was that kid that was picked on. I dropped out of school because of it. Um, my son's father is also very passive. So, you know, it's kind of interesting how people think that the, the narcissist ex is this, you know, violent, raging lunatic. My ex just had an attorney that was mowing me down. You know, my ex can't function without his attorney. My ex has a breastfeeding relationship with his attorney. Right. So <laughs> the umbilical cord, you know, the attorney is his placenta, basically. <laughs> yes. So my ex is actually a pretty reasonable human being when his attorney's not there being his puppet, but my ex has no backbone, no conscience, no nothing. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. but, but my, so, so my, my ex doesn't stand up for what he believes. And I certainly didn't as a kid. And my son is like super like, um, secure. And and I'm like, all right, that's freaking amazing. Cause you, I had almost no access to him, but he's probably been been watching me all these years and Mm -hmm knowing that I don't put up with any crap. <laughs> I used to drag yeah. him to rallies. I would drag him to family court reform rallies when he was like four. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, they might as well learn now. <laughs> I would pull him out of school. I'd be like, all right, it's my four hours a week with you. We're going to a rally. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, it could be fun. Rallies yeah. can be fun. <laughs> and, and, you know, judges always tell parents, don't talk about the case with your kids. Mm-hmm. Psst, I would love to see a judge try to enforce that on me. It's like, excuse me? You think, so, so, 
my child is supposed to think that I just don't want to be with them because I want to party. Mm-hmm. Like, no, my, my kids are going to know why I'm not, not with them. It's because the state sucks <laughs> and that's right. all there is to it. <laughs> you know, I, I really think you should tell them the truth because, you know, if you try to shelter the truth from them, it will backfire on you. And I have seen this happen to parent upon parent when the judge says, you know, you don't talk about court or badmouth the other parent. Or, of course, you know, I didn't badmouth the other parent, but they lied and said I did. But anyway, um, I never discussed court. But, and this is how other parents make their kids sick, is that they, some of them are reading them judges' orders that, that are really scaring the kid. I mean, and, and uh, it causes the, the, the kid to have anxiety. But, and I was, I was thinking to myself, why can't I talk to my kid about what they're doing to the both of us? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I regret not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, my dad never told me anything either, but when I was 15 and I think all teenagers do this. So mm-hmm. I went through his, cl- his closet. So dad, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I went through his closet. <laughs> um, and I saw boxes and boxes of court documents and I started reading them and I said, oh my God, and, and everything, you know, but I suspected, I've always been very intuitive as a kid. I knew, and, and the thing is I was alienated. So I was lying about my dad all the time. I, <laughs> people had me on camera, like therapists would videotape me saying bad things about my dad when I was four years old. I wasn't even old enough to freaking climb the monkey bars, you know, and I was saying, my dad did this, my dad did that. And I had a therapist, an evaluator. Um, I had my own attorney. This is, the corruption is so deep. And it goes back so many decades. And I think one of the reasons we have this problem is because, um, you know, you're part of Generation X, probably. You're about my age and I'm a Generation X. Um, and, and we grew up without, we grew up as children in the system. So now we're having kids. So it's kind of become normal. Um, and unfortunately, in the black and brown community, especially young men who are not married and men of color, it is ridiculous. It's, it's expected that you're going to be a child support paying parent just mm. by virtue of getting someone pregnant, whether you're even romantically connected with them or not. And it is the most ridiculously horrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. When mm-hmm. I see young men, sh- young men of color shuttled into a child support paycheck system. Mm-hmm. I mean, before the kid's even born. And it's like, what, it's like, why can't you, why can't we shuttle these young men into a, um, a shared custody arrangement when mm-hmm. the baby's born. I mean, obviously if the baby's breastfeeding, you got to make modifications, but it's like, why are we doing this whole paycheck bullshit? Like, mm-hmm. uh, don't even get me started. <laughs> oh, I, I will. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I totally understand. Yeah. The system is racist. The system is definitely racist against young men of color, men that are unmarried. And then they, so they hit that community hard in a different way. And then they hit the, the more affluent community people in their forties who've been married, who have a lot of assets, they hit that community in a different way. So they're kind of fisting both communities differently, but they're still getting that child support extraction, um, the, the matching payments and all that horrifying stuff. Right. And if the taxpayers only knew what's really going on. Yeah. And I, I suggest that all these taxpayers on their day off, why don't they just go to a family courtroom <laughs> and just go in there and watch the circus that's going to unfold before their eyes. Yeah. And, and, you know, my mom, she's a narcissist. She took my dad through the system. Even my mom to this day still thinks that 
oh, well, that mom just, you know, she worked too much. That's why she lost her kids. Like my mom is one of those, like to this day, she's still like, well, Monica, maybe, maybe if you didn't work nights, you'd still have Elias, you know, mm. or maybe if you, maybe if you consented to that psyche valve, you'd still have, you, you wouldn't have lost, you know, so my, so there's a lot of cognitive dissonance on one side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course we have the gender wars. So that's mm-hmm. very, very unhelpful. Right. <laughs> right. So there's, a, it's multifaceted issues, but we will fix the system. We have to just open our eyes and podcast. Oh my gosh. So you're making a podcast. You have an incredible podcast. I have a podcast. I think every single parent should make a podcast. Mm-hmm. It would be massive mm-hmm. if every parent had a YouTube channel, a podcast, you know, it's our right under the first amendment to uh, speak out against our government. Mm-hmm. Freedom of the press, you know, a YouTube channel is the press. I mean, we have, like, God gave us the gift of the internet to do this. Like, it's the internet's going to fix this. Mm-hmm. The internet is going to fix all this. And we had talked earlier how the court, it, I think the court is purposely building permanent wounds into our children that they will have to deal with this later on in life. And it's, it's going to make sure that the APA and therapists and group homes always have more people coming in to the system. Yeah. Unhealthiness is a very lucrative market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very lucrative. You get someone who's 15, hasn't seen their father in five years, suicidal ideation. I mean, that's an automatic cash cow mm-hmm. long-term. Because if you could get that child when they're 15, when they're 30 and 40 and 50, they're still going to be taking those medications. Mm-hmm. It's kids, kids are a brilliant, um, they, they are the market, you know, mm-hmm. get them when they're young. I mean, Robert F. Kennedy talks about this all the time. He uh, runs the children's health defense. Um, get the kids when they're young and you have a permanent uh, uh, client base. It is permanent. People. Very few people get off of medication at 30 when they've already been on it for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So I, I do. So I, yeah, I do think it's purposeful. That's just the conspiracy theorist in me. So well, no, I agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> I agree I'm with sure you. you. Also agree too. <laughs> and, and it's uh, it's not that it's anything to laugh at. It's just that we we've been through so much and seen so much and heard so many stories that you're dumbfounded. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, podcasts, like writing blogs. I mean, there's so much because this is forever searchable. What you're doing right now today is a permanent thumbprint on the whole reform movement. Mm. And um, we didn't have this with the women's suffrage movement. There wasn't Facebook, you know. Right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we ha- we're building this massive movement that's like and we're so close to reform. I think we're going to have reform in 16 years. I had a download again. I probably Dr. Huffer four years ago and it was like, you're going to fix this in 20 years. And I'm like, yay. So I'm going to quit. I'm going to close my business down and and set in 16 years and become a, uh, a health coach for parents who've been through the system and want to revamp their love life. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) still going to stay in the same population. Yeah. Yeah. We're not the parents in this community. Don't, they don't want to date. I found. Mm-hmm. So well, they don't want to go through it again, or they don't want to find out that the other person is not what they thought they were, um, or going through the other um, hellish mother-in-law syndrome. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who wants to go through that again? 
<laughs> you know what we should do? We, you and I should open a business where we vet people before marriage on whether or not they're going to sue you for sole custody of your future children. <laughs> well, yeah, I really think. Give them a I score. Mean, yeah. Well, the thing is, it's, I, you know, they talk about arranged marriages. Maybe they should be arranged. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like the narcissist could still get married, but they should just marry other narcissists. So there's no, we don't have that like dynamic where like we have the one parent groveling for, for oh, rights. Yeah. You know, all you need is two hard headed people and you know, they can duke it out and be fine. Right. Right. Now yeah. I, I know we were talking earlier about insurance fraud. Yeah. I like when a judge orders a parent into an evaluation and they pay their bill or their insurance, why are we not compelling insurance companies to build a fraud unit to make sure that these, these are legitimate me medical orders? <clears throat> yes. My husband and I came up with this, so I want to say like five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, my husband works for United Healthcare. And he's been asking his employer, like, hey, can, you, can I work in, a, in your fraud unit? Like, my husband is like the major researcher of all these things. But yeah, my opinion is that um, when, a, when a judge, so, okay, Connecticut just passed a law in 2018 that now allows parents, when they're forced into these unconstitutional um, psyche valves that violate informed consent, now we get to bill our insurance and our insurance will pay for it. Yay, isn't that wonderful? Oh, wow. So we're going to screw you, but we're going to make sure that you get coverage, you know, for the, for the screwing. And, um, and so, um, we obviously, I testified against the bill and all that. And so did my husband, but of course other parents and family court were like, Oh, that's a great idea. I don't want to pay 20 grand for a psyche. Well, I want my insurance to pay for it. So that's another problem. We have, we have parents that are pushing for these, these, um, these are not reform laws. These are just digging us deeper. But, um, I do think that these insurance companies should investigate like, well, why are we paying 20 grand for a psyche valve? which is exploratory, by the way, this isn't, this didn't come because someone stole an army tank and started shooting at people, you know, right. this, this came because mommy don't like daddy no more. Yeah, you're right. It's like, I don't like my ex, order a psyche valve because she had postpartum depression five years ago. Like that's the kind of crap we're doing psyche valves on. And I think these insurance companies should be like, why are we doing this? Like what's the, and, and ask for more information because you, you can't even get your insurance to cover like a, a heart valve, you know, bypass or like they won't pay MRI. for MRI, right, right. It's like, I have a tumor. Can you please look at it? Well, no, my insurance won't cover it. But they'll freaking cover these ridiculous evaluations that are exploratory. And the Fourth Amendment prohibits government exploratory searches into our private lives and mm -hmm. our minds are private. <laughs> right. So, and, and yeah, they'll, they'll even break HIPAA laws in these uh, circus family courtrooms. Um, it's amazing. Uh. <laughs> oh my God. This is like the best podcast. <laughs> this is the best interview I've ever had in my life. And I could, I feel like I just could talk like this forever. And I'm like, yes. Oh, I we can. You, uh, <laughs> I know I'll even have you back on. <laughs> part two. Part two. Yes. Yeah. Because it's like, you'll be sitting in the witness stand and a judge will say, what are you on? And it's like, why do I have to answer you? Oh. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I know. It, and you don't have to, exactly, you don't have to answer that. You could say it, you know, Your Honor, with respect, I'd like to keep that information private. I have medical rights. <laughs> but then they'll say, well, I'm going to send you to the fourth floor, which is the sheriff's department, who will haul you off to jail. Yes. 
we've had a um, we had a mom. I believe she was pregnant when this happened. Was literally incarcerated for not giving up. Oh, you know what it was? She wasn't pregnant, but she wouldn't give her gynecological records to the to the judge. So oh the judge God. wanted to know the condition of her cervix. Basically, she said no, and she went to she literally went to went to jail. This is a Connecticut mom, but she held her ground. She was like, fine. And she sat in jail. And this is the thing, I, I joked around, like, go ahead and put me in jail. I'll write another book, you know? <laughs> Give me some pencil and paper. I'll write another book. No, I mean, and again, I'm not going to tell a parent, like, don't comply. But this parent sat in jail. And she's like, okay, I'm going to sit in jail. They couldn't, they still couldn't figure out the condition of her cervix after some time. And they had to let her go. <laughs> oh, my God. All at taxpayer's expense. Yes. Yes. Because civil, civil incarceration, I think, has... Um, a time limit. They might not be able to hold you for more than 12 hours or 24 hours or something like that. Um, but again, I'm, I'm at the point in my life where I would go to jail, but not everybody has that privilege. You know, mm -hmm. some people have elderly parents to take care of kids, you know, mm -hmm. they can't go to jail. Right. Um, I run a business. My people would understand if I don't show up to my live streams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get Marianne to sit in for me, you know, so I have the privilege, I have the privilege of going to jail, but you know, um, I mean, sometimes I, th I think we have to be a little bit less afraid, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's hard. That's a big thing. We should maybe talk about fear in, the, in a future podcast. Definitely. That would be a good topic. Yeah. It's, yes. a, it's a real thing. It's a very real thing. And a lot of parents are like, well, who cares if I give up my medical privacy? I don't want to go to jail. I get that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't get it. Uh, they, they think they can walk all over you in these family courtrooms and uh, they do. And yeah, until they can't. So, right. so that mom who sat in jail, that judge, that judge, I read the order. The judge was like, well, there's really not much I could do, <laughs> but they still held her in contempt, but she was just in contempt. I was like, well, what does that mean? You're in contempt. Great. You're in contempt. Yay. <laughs> and then right. you could appeal that. You could appeal contempt. That's the thing. Parents, you, if you're held in contempt, you could appeal that. And 99% of the time, you could probably have it reversed because all, all this contempt crap is, is, not, is not legitimate, you know? Mm -hmm. And what's also hard that uh, other parents complain about is visitation orders. A judge will order visitation orders and the other parent won't comply. And uh, they don't get to see their child. And so you go back to hold them in contempt and the judge just... Oh, slapped Johnny on the wrist and doesn't do anything. Yeah, my husband has a brilliant solution for this. And so can we wrestle a 16-year-old kid into a car? No, you know, unless you're the non-custodial parent. If you're the non-custodial parent, if you're the underdog parent, the second-class parent, and you can't wrestle your 16-year-old in a car because you have a bad back, because that's why I tell parents, I say, say that you have a bad back, because then, then you yeah, like American with Disabilities Act, you know, protection. Say you have a bad back, you can't wrestle your kid into the car, and they technically can't punish you. This is just stuff I say. It's not legal advice. But if you're the custodial parent, if you're the, if you're the winning parent, the parent who's groomed to be a jerk, you're never going to be punished. And, but, the, but the solution to that, in a way that the system can still make money, is find that parent 20 bucks for the first offense, 50 bucks for the second offense, 100 bucks for the third offense. And if the kid is legitimately belligerent and won't comply, then the parent can deal with the kid. Like, oh, you're not getting your PlayStation. You know, parents, you, you guys, if you can get your kid to school, you can, you know, and, and I, I don't want to speak for all parents. I know that there's always exceptions, you know, if there's abuse, you know, it's going to be hard to, you know, I was abused as a child and I would have gotten into the car because I 
because when you're, I know, I feel like when you're abused, you, you are compliant because you're abused, you're broken down. Like mm -hmm. that, that, I'm not an expert. I don't want to speak for others. I know that there's kids in my town, uh, twin girls in my town who live two, two blocks away, uh, were being abused and they legitimately did not want to get into the car to see their dad. And the mom was actually incarcerated for three months. She, and she's appealing it right now. And it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant case. I'm so proud of her. But yeah, so there are legitimately kids who are abused who will not budge and not get into the car, but it, it's tough. I, I, but I still don't know if that's a government, I don't know. I guess it, that'll be a great thing to talk about in the future. Is it the government's job to make sure the child sees both parents if the child's not complying, you know? Mm -hmm. Do we get yeah. the government involved? I can't, I can't wait for our next podcast already. Yeah. I mean, so I'll just close with, I'll just, that thought, I'll just close with this. If you're married, so my husband and I are married. If our daughters are 15 and 17 and our daughters are refusing to get in the car and we're married, can the government force our daughters into the car to go to soccer practice or grandma's house? No. If I called, if I went to court, they'd say, well, why are you, why are you here? You're married. Go home and figure it out. So why is it that when we're divorced, we could ask the government to help our kids go to the other house. And, and I know that I might be offending a lot of parents with that because I've had my son withheld from me. I get it. I would love to have had my ex fined 50 bucks, but equal parenting orders would avoid a lot of those issues. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have your kids equally and your child doesn't want to see you for a weekend, you're not going to be hit as hard because you're already with them a lot. Like mm -hmm. if you're with them once a month and your kid doesn't come, that's, that's really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a big mess. I know it just, Sometimes there's uh, some hard answers, easy answers, or maybe even no quick fix. I know people are like listening to us like, oh crap, we're so screwed. Monica's talking about all this stuff. <laughs> no, it's very fascinating. Yeah. You know, I, I learned a lot. I'm glad you came on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. We'll do, we'll do this again. I, I could talk forever and I know your audience is going to get so fatigued listening to this. So. No, no. Um, where, where can we find your book, Best Interest of the Parent? Yeah, so The Best Interest of the Parent is actually the name of my course. And I do... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Don't worry about it. Um, I have long titles on everything I do, apparently. But yeah, no, The Best Interest of the Parent is my course. And I'm holding a masterclass next week, which is um, June... Well, at the time of this recording, it's next week on June 24th and June 25th. Mm -hmm. And those are, that's free. It's a free masterclass. It's brand new. I've never put this out before. Um, yes, next week, June 23rd and June 24th, 8 p.m. Eastern time. I have a sign-up link I just generated today. I'm happy to forward that to you. And so that, so that's the course. And then I have a book, it's called broken system, broken heart, and that's on Amazon, but you could get a free copy. If you email me at Monica at momsunshackled.com. <laughs> you okay. don't want to pay Amazon 15 bucks. I could give you a digital copy for free. If you want a paperback, then Amazon's the best place to go. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. So if someone wants to reach you or talk to you or ask you a question, do you have any contact information? Yeah. So my email address, Monica at momsunshackled.com is my email, but I also have a Facebook group. It's called The Best Interest of the Parent. Um, I'm on YouTube. My channel's called The Best Interest of the Parent. <laughs> so if you Google that term, then hopefully I would hope that the Google gods would put my name in the list. Um, but yeah, I'm on Facebook. I, I have a big mouth, so I'm just everywhere like talking about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think we should have big mouths. I think yeah. more people should have big mouths to be honest with you. 
Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and, mm -hmm. and so like just a positive note, like sometimes this sort of thing can make you um find yourself because I was not if you knew me 10 years ago I was a waitress and I was like I had my head down all the time I had no voice I let everybody walk all over me nobody had any respect for me because I had no respect for myself like I couldn't keep a boyfriend in my life like I drove them crazy because I was needy and clingy and like meh and like I had no career aspirations like I was just I was just a very vanilla uh, person um and I had to develop um, a, a sense of self to get through this crap. And, and so I think there's a gift in all of this stuff, especially for our children, because they're watching us. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And I'm going to have you back on. So, uh, you know, maybe in a month or so, I'd love to have yeah. you back on. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on. Uh, Slam the Gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in the family courtrooms that in turn perpetuate parental alienation. I'm your host, Marianne Petri, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again with Monica in the future and other guests for exciting episodes. Thank you so much again, Monica. Thank you.